0: chapter 10 part 2 of hypatia this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by david cole hypatia by charles kingsley chapter 10 the interview part 2 Philemon gazed curiously at these symbols of a science unknown to him, and wondered whether the day would ever come when he too would understand their mysteries. But his eyes fell again as he saw the youths staring at his ragged sheepskin and matted locks with undisguised contempt. He could hardly collect himself enough to obey the summons of the venerable old man, as he beckoned him silently out of the room, and led him with the titters of the young students ringing in his ears through the door by which he had entered and along a gallery till he stopped and knocked humbly at a door she must be within his knees knocked together under him his heart sank and sank into abysses poor wretch he was half-minded once to escape and dash into the street but was it not his one hope his one object. But why did not that old man speak? If he would have but said something, if he would have only looked cross, contemptuous, but with the same impressive gravity as of a man upon a business in which he had no voice, and wished it to be understood, that he had none, the old man silently opened the door, and Philamon followed. There she was, looking more glorious than ever, more than when glowing with the enthusiasm of her own eloquence, more than when transfigured last night in golden tresses and glittering moonbeams. There she sat, without moving a finger, as the two entered. She greeted her father with a smile, which made up for all her seeming want of courtesy to him, and then fixed her large grey eyes full on "'Here is the youth, my daughter. It was your wish, you know, and I always believe that you know best.' Another smile put an end to this speech, and the old man retreated humbly toward another door, with a somewhat anxious visage, and then lingering and looking back his hand upon the latch. "'If you require any one you know, you have only to call. We shall be all in the library.' Another smile, and the old man disappeared, leaving the two alone. Philamon stood trembling, choking, his eyes fixed on the floor. Where were all the fine things he had conned over for the occasion? He dared not look up at that face, lest it should drive them out of his head. And yet the more he kept his eyes turned from the face, the more he was conscious of it, CONSCIOUS THAT HE WAS WATCHING HIM, AND THE MORE ALL THE FINE WORDS WERE, BY THAT VERY KNOWLEDGE, DRIVEN OUT OF HIS HEAD. WHEN WOULD SHE SPEAK? PERHAPS SHE WISHED HIM TO SPEAK FIRST. IT WAS HER DUTY TO BEGIN, FOR SHE HAD SENT FOR HIM. BUT STILL SHE KEPT SILENCE, AND SAT SCANNING HIM INTENTLY FROM HEAD TO FOOT, HERSELF AS MOTIONLESS AS A STATUE. Her hands folded together before her, over a manuscript which lay upon her knee. If there was a blush on her cheek at her own daring, his eyes swam too much to notice it. When would the intolerable suspense end? She was, perhaps, as unwilling to speak as he. But some one must strike the first blow, and, as often happens, the weaker party, impelled by sheer terror, struck it and broke the silence in a tone half-indignant, half-apologetic. You sent for me hither. I did. It seemed to me, as I watched you during my lecture, both before and after you were rude enough to interrupt me, that your offence was one of mere youthful ignorance. It seemed to me that your countenance bespoke a nobler nature than that which the gods are usually pleased to bestow upon monks, that I may now ascertain whether or not my surmises were correct. I ask you for what purpose are you come hither?' Philemon hailed the question as a godsend, now for his message, and yet he faltered as he answered, with a desperate effort, to rebuke you for your sins. "'My sins! What sins?' she asked, as she looked up with a stately slow surprise in those large grey eyes." before which his own glance sank abashed. He knew not why. What sins he knew not. Did she look like a Messalina? But was she not a heathen and a sorceress? And yet he blushed and stammered and hung down his head as, shrinking at the sound of his own words, he replied, The foul sorceries, and profligacy worse than sorceries, in which they say. He could get no further." for he looked up again, and saw an awful quiet smile upon that face. His words had raised no blush upon the marble cheek. They say, the bigots and slanderers, wild beasts of the desert and fanatic intriguers, who in the words of him they call their master, compass heaven and earth to make one proselyte, and when they have found him, make him twofold more the child of hell than themselves— "'Go! I forgive you. "'You are young, and know not yet the mystery of the world. "'Science will teach you some day "'that the outward frame is the sacrament of the soul's inward beauty. "'Such a soul I had fancied your face expressed, "'but I was mistaken. "'Foul hearts alone harbour such foul suspicions, "'and fancy others to be what they know they might become themselves. "'Go! do I look like!' THE VERY TAPERING OF THESE FINGERS, IF YOU COULD READ THEIR SYMBOLISM, WOULD GIVE YOUR DREAM THE LIE. AND SHE FLASHED FULL ON HIM, LIKE SUN rays FROM A MIRROR, THE FULL RADIANCE OF HER GLORIOUS COUNTENANCE. ALAS, POOR PHILAMON, WHERE WERE THY ELOQUENT ARGUMENTS, THY ORTHODOX THEORIES THEN? PROUDLY HE STRUGGLED WITH HIS OWN MAN'S HEART OF FLESH, AND TRIED TO TURN HIS EYES AWAY. The Magnet might as well struggle to escape from the spell of the North. In a moment he knew not how, utter shame, remorse, longing for forgiveness, swept over him and crushed him down, and he found himself on his knees before her, in abject and broken syllables entreating pardon. "'Go,' I forgive you, but know before you go, that the Celestial Milk which fell from Hera's bosom, bleaching the plant which it touched to everlasting whiteness, was not more taintless than the soul of Theon's daughter. He looked up in her face as he knelt before her. Unerring instinct told him that her words were true. He was a monk, accustomed to believe animal sin to be the deadliest and worst of all sins. Indeed, the great offence itself, beside which all others were comparatively venal. Where there was physical purity must not all other virtues follow in its wake. All other failings were invisible under the dazzling veil of that great loveliness, and in his self-abasement he went on. Oh, do not spurn me, do not drive me away. I have neither friend, home, nor teacher. I fled last night from the men of my own faith maddened by bitter insult and injustice disappointed and disgusted with their ferocity narrowness ignorance i dare not i cannot i will not return to the obscurity and the dulness of a Thebaid laura i have a thousand doubts to solve a thousand questions to ask about that great ancient world of which i know nothing of whose mysteries they say you alone possess the key. I am a Christian, but I thirst for knowledge. I do not promise to believe you, I do not promise to obey you, but let me hear. Teach me what you know, that I may compare it with what I know, if indeed. And he shuddered as he spoke the words, I do know anything. Have you forgotten the epithets which you used to me just now? "'No, no. But do you forget them? They were put into my mouth. I—I—I did not believe them when I said them. It was agony to me. But I did it as I thought, for your sake, to save you. Oh, say that I may come and hear you again, only from a distance, in the very farthest corner of your lecture-room. I will be silent. You shall never see me.' but your words yesterday awoke in me, no, not doubts, but still I must, I must hear more, or be as miserable and homeless inwardly as I am in my outward circumstances. And he looked up imploringly for consent. Rise! This passion and that attitude are fitting neither for you nor me. And as Philemon rose, she rose also, went into the library to her father, "'and in a few minutes returned with him. "'Come with me, young man,' said he, "'laying his hand kindly enough on Philammon's shoulder. "'The rest of this matter you and I can settle.' "'And Philammon followed him, "'not daring to look back at Hypatia, "'while the whole room swam before his eyes. "'So, so I hear you have been saying rude things to my daughter. "'Well, she has forgiven you. "'Has she?' asked the young monk with an eager start. Ah, you may well look astonished, but I forgive you too. It is lucky for you, however, that I did not hear you, or else, old man as I am, I can't say what I might not have done. Ah, you little know, you little know what she is, and the old pedant's eyes kindled with loving pride. May the gods give you some day such a daughter that is, if you learn to deserve it. As virtuous as she is wise, as wise as she is beautiful. Truly they have repaid me for my labours in their service. Look, young man, little as you merit it, here is a pledge of your forgiveness, such as the richest and noblest in Alexandria are glad to purchase with many an ounce of gold. A ticket of free admission to all her lectures henceforth, now go you have been favored beyond your deserts and should learn that the philosopher can practice what the christian only preaches and return good for evil and he put into philamon's hand a slip of paper and bid one of the secretaries show him to the outer door the ewes looked up at him from their writing as he passed with faces of surprise and awe and evidently thinking no more about the absurdity of his sheepskin and his tan complexion, and he went out with a stunned, confused feeling, as of one who, by a desperate leap, has plunged into a new world. He tried to feel content, but he dare not. All before him was anxiety, uncertainty. He had cut himself adrift, he was on the great stream. Whither would it lead him? Well, was it not the great stream? Had not all mankind for all the ages been floating on it, or was it but a desert river, dwindling away beneath the fiery sun, destined to lose itself a few miles on among the arid sands? Were Arsenius and the faith of his childhood right, and was the old world coming speedily to its death throe and the kingdom of God at hand? Or was Cyril right— and the church catholic appointed to spread, and conquer, and destroy, and rebuild, till the kingdoms of this world had become the kingdoms of God and of his Christ? If so, what use in this old knowledge which he craved? And yet, if the day of the destruction of all things were at hand, and the times destined to become worse and not better, till the end, how could that be? "'What news?' asked the little porter, who had been waiting for him at the door all the while. "'What news, O favourite of the gods? "'I will lodge with you and labour with you. "'Ask me no more at present. "'I am, I am.' "'Those who descended into the cave of Trophonius and beheld the unspeakable remained astonished for three days, my young friend, and so will you, and they went forth together to earn their bread.' but what is Hypatia doing all this while, upon that cloudy Olympus, where she sits enshrined far above the noise and struggle of man and his workday world? She is sitting again, with her manuscripts open before her, but she is thinking of the young monk, not of them, beautiful as Antinous, rather as the young Phoebus himself, flesh growing from the slaughter of the python. Why should not he, too, become a slayer of pythons, and loathsome monsters, bred from the mud of sense and matter, so bold and earnest? I can forgive him those words, for the very fact of his having dared, here in my father's house, to say them to me, and yet so tender, so open to repentance and noble shame. That is no plebeian by birth, patrician blood surely flows in those veins." it shows out in every attitude, every tone, every motion of the hand and lip. He cannot be one of the herd. Whoever knew one of them crave after knowledge for its own sake? And I have longed so for one real pupil. I have longed so to find one such man among the effeminate selfish triflers who pretend to listen to me. I thought I had found one, and the moment that I had lost him behold I find another, and that a fresher, purer, simpler nature than ever Raphael's was at his best. By all the laws of physiognomy, by all the symbolism of gesture and voice and complexion, by the instinct of my own heart, that young monk might be the instrument, the ready, valiant, obedient instrument, for carrying out all my dreams. If I could but train him into a Longinus, I could dare to play the part of a Zenobia with him as counsellor, and for my Odonatus, Orestes, horrible. She covered her face with her hand a minute. No, she said, dashing away the tears. That and anything and everything, for the cause of philosophy and the gods. End of chapter 10.